Hebrews 11. Tonight we're going to look at 27 through 29. Second part of Moses here. Moses had so much faith, takes a couple parts. Five by faiths Moses had. And Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27. Uh, I'm going to just thank God for the word, and then I'm going to read 27 through 29, and uh, we'll jump in. Father, tonight we thank you that we can come together in the middle of the week and worship. As brothers and sisters, we can get our batteries recharged, Lord. And I, I just pray tonight as we've worshiped and opened up our hearts that there would be good ground in there. Holy Spirit, plow up that fallow ground and plant your word in there, the seeds of what you've hidden in the word for those that love you and those who are in relationship with you. So open up the word to us tonight, Father, and Holy Spirit, drill it deep into our hearts so it produces fruit. And let what we learn tonight never leave us. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in the by faiths here, and uh, t- verse 27 through 29, we're going to hit some more by faiths about Moses. And it says this, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he preserved, he persevered as though seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover, say Passover. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though dry land and the Egyptians when they attempted it, were drowned. So three more by faith tonight. Uh, We said Moses had five in the text that we covered. Last week we got two of them. So the next three here we covered in 27 through 29. Uh, Moses' parents uh, were the focal point of the first act of faith. Why? Because all the male children were supposed to be slaughtered in Egypt, yet his parents decided they weren't going to follow the king's edict. And and we kind of talked about the fact that they saw he was a beautiful or a lovely child, meaning that not that he was, you know, a prize-winning baby, but that he was a child of destiny. And they, by the Holy Spirit, knew that this guy had a destiny, and they had to do whatever it takes to preserve him. So Moses' life started off by faith. His parents put him in a basket by faith. They floated it down the Nile by faith. And by faith, they prayed that God would do something. And Pharaoh's daughter plucked Moses out of the Nile and raised him as her own. We saw the parents give the initial by faith. And they, they didn't fear the king's edict. And we said they had every reason to fear Pharaoh because Pharaoh could have you sentenced to death at the blink of an eye. He was in complete control and complete power. But they didn't fear the king. So Moses is plucked out. He's saved by God. He has a purpose. He has a destiny. Uh, He also showed that he was willing to suffer the reproach that Christ suffered. He was estranged from his people. He was rejected by his people. Then he came to lead his people. Then he was a deliverer of his people. And he had to deal with all the uh, intricacies and stresses of leadership and leading people. You know, leadership is awesome. It's just people that are difficult. So Moses showed himself willing to suffer Christ's reproach to just leave behind Egypt, a type of sin, and uh, to embrace the hardship of suffering with the people of God so that he he might deliver them from sin. We also noticed that Moses was a type of Christ, and I I have some handouts for you tonight that show the typology of Moses and the fact that he, uh, in many ways, he and Jesus uh, 
showed a lot of similarities, and we're going we're gonna to pass them out. But not right now. These ushers are crack ushers. These are, give this to somebody else, and when I tell you, we'll pass them out. Because they'll look at them while I'm preaching, and I can't, I can't compete with that paper. So let's pick up in verse 27 here. We're going to talk about typologies. We're going to have all kinds of fun tonight. But uh, you guys are already looking at them over there. Look at that. Behave yourself. Verse 27 says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Remember, Pharaoh was someone to be feared, but Moses didn't fear him. For he persevered as, the, as though seeing him who is unseen. So he's trusting God more than he's fearing man. And that was a principle we looked at. Moses leaves Egypt. The first time he leaves Egypt, he leaves in haste. Do you remember how he left? He saw an Egyptian flogging or beating one of his fellow Hebrew servants. And Moses, remember, we said he had anger issues and he had self-control issues and he burst into a rage. And he burst into a rage and he killed that Egyptian. And you say, well, you know, that was justified. Well, he buried him because he knew he, he knew it was not justified. And not only did he do that, but eventually he flees uh, Egypt because his sin is catching up with him. He thought he buried it in the sand. He thought he could keep it quiet. But how many know the truth has a way of always coming out? That should give encouragement to some of us here today who are paying attention to the world around us. You can clap. The truth has a way of coming out. Pastor, there's so much this and there's so much that and there's so much corruption and everybody got away with everything. Nobody gets away with nothing. Oh, Wednesday night, I got to get my jumper cables out. My dad used to tell me that all the time when I was little. Nobody gets away with nothing. In fact, he used to kick me in the butt every once in a while when I walked by him and say, that's for the things I didn't catch you doing. So in the Leonardi house, nobody got away with nothing. But he leaves in haste the first flight. So notice what it's saying. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Wait a minute. He kind of left, you know, he, he kind of left in fear. He ran away because his sin was catching up with him. We're going to look at the evolution of this here where God comes to this conclusion. Uh, he leaves in his first flight in haste because he killed an Egyptian and what he buried was uncovered and he didn't want to face the truth. Now Moses is going to come and go many more times in the process of liberating the Hebrews from the Egyptians. You know, you would think, I did a bad thing. I'm walking away. I don't want to be Pharaoh's, you know, stepson or whatever I am anymore. I'm out of here and I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. How many would think if you ran away from that situation, you would think I'm never coming back? And Moses didn't think he was coming back, but God had it planned, so he was going to meet him in the wilderness. He was going to train him as a shepherd. He was going to raise him up as a deliverer, and he was going to send him right back to where he ran away from. So Moses's comings and goings were in the hands of God. There is a process that had to take place for him to liberate the people of God. He didn't just go once and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, yeah, okay. And that was the end of the story. You know the story. Moses comes and goes, and he interacts with Pharaoh over and over again, telling him, you need to let the people go. You need to let the Hebrews go. And he interacts over and over. He comes and goes many more times, prophesying each time of the 10 plagues. There's going to be a plague. Yeah, yeah, okay, Moses, whatever you say. And then there's a plague, and Pharaoh hardens his heart and stiffens his neck, and another plague, plague after plague. 10 plagues, Moses comes, and he comes, and he comes to Pharaoh. 
Now think about that. Here's a guy that ran away because he killed somebody and God sends him right back to the people who could bring that issue up and, and bring him to account for that murder. Yet God has a plan for him and God is his protection and he comes to trust God more than he comes to fear Pharaoh. And this is what we got to get tonight, Wednesday night. We need to fear God more than we fear man. We need to be willing to look like fools in the eyes of man so that we could be, you know, so that God can affirm us and God can say, well done, good and faithful servant, amen. Our flesh wants to be affirmed by the world. It wants to be affirmed by people. We don't want to be out of step. Why? Because we stand out and people point and say, you know, what's wrong with you, Christian? What's wrong with you? You don't believe what we believe, and you don't like the things that we like, and, 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 and you don't really fit in, and, you know, we're going to bring that up, and people don't like that. Our flesh doesn't like that. Moses came and went many times before Pharaoh. Now, the pattern of Moses' comings and going show him overcoming fear, and I want you to see this. It was an instantaneous thing. It was an incremental thing. It was a process. If you think that you overcome fear just in an instant through a, a burst of bravery from the Holy Spirit, that's not usually the way it works. It's a process. And it's a process of learning to trust God and step out on the ledge and watch God come through and then step out a little further and step. And, and the more we step out in, in obedience to God, the more we find that he's faithful and he works things out. And the more we begin to trust him and the less we begin to fear man. If you think the governors and the senators and the, you know, the people in political power in our country are scary, I mean, if you lived under, if you lived under a pharaoh, man, we, we, we really have a lot of blessings here. As much as we think, you know, oh, it's, it's tough sometimes, but... Moses came and go, he overcame his fear, and it was a gradual process. He actually came before Pharaoh so many times and had so many demands that it almost seemed like he was trying to provoke him. When you realize that, you know, well, there's going to be a plague, you know, the, the, the Nile's going to turn to blood, and yeah, 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 and there's going to be frogs, and then we got lice, and then we got, you know, and on and on it goes. You know, as Moses is coming to him, you know, especially as you read it, or you watch Charlton Heston do it, you know, you're just like, no, no more, you're pushing it. Do you ever feel like that? You're pushing it. And God had him push it on purpose because he was killing every bit of fear in him. He came so many times, it was almost disrespectful to the point where Pharaoh got sick of him. In fact, Pharaoh got so tired of seeing Moses' face, he basically tells him in Exodus 10, 28, if I see your face again, you're dead. Listen to what he says here in Exodus 10, 28. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Be careful. Do not see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Pretty serious, right? Moses is, you know, keeps coming, keeps bringing plagues. And the last one was, you know, the, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh had had it. He finally tells him, get out of my face. I don't want to see you again. The next time, I, if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. That's, that's basically what he says. 
and he had worn out his welcome in such a way, but God had reached the 10th plague, and Moses had reached freedom from the fear of man, and man had become exasperated with God, yet we see the shift had already taken place. Moses no longer fears Pharaoh. God is about to deal with him finally once and for all. Moses now trusts God and fears God in a way that's going to allow him to lead this group of crazy people in the desert in circles for 40 years. Okay, so it's a learning thing here. Uh, the fact that Moses fled initially showed a little bit of fear, but the fact that God allowed him to redeem himself over a time and through a process showed that God is willing to allow us time for our faith to develop. That should encourage you tonight, amen? God's not in heaven like, oh man, I gave you two chances, Rick. You blew it both times, you're out. No, he's like, you know, time after time, uh, chance after chance. Why? Because he's developing something with us. He has patience. You know, God has more patience with us than sometimes we have with ourselves. Ever mess up and just beat yourself to death? Beat yourself up about it, amen? And somebody says, uh, oh, man, the devil's beating you up, and the devil's going, it's not me. You're beating yourself up. There's no condemnation in Christ. Yeah, we make a mistake and we sin or we, you know, we, we succumb to temptation and we beat ourselves up. God's more patient than we are. Be patient with yourself. Amen? You're a work in progress. How long is this going to take? However long it takes. But the truth is our righteousness doesn't come from the achievements that we, you know, and the disciplines we embrace, our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ and his blood. So God looks at us as righteous already, but yet he's conforming us to the image of Christ, and so we're harnessing that personal holiness. He had patience with Moses. He'll have patience with you. Every time Moses went back, his faith got stronger. Every time we fall down and get up, our faith gets stronger. Our faith gets stronger through a process. It's not a reflex, and I want you to understand that. Eventually, we can become mature enough spiritually that reflexively we respond in faith. But if you're not there, if I'm not there, then God's still working on us, amen? You know, there's some things where, you know, maybe when you were young, you just, you know, you got a bill in the mail and you came unglued and you, you thought, oh, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna, I can't pay it. But God always came through. And then 10, 20, 30 years later, you get a bill and you're like, God will provide. Come on, any seasoned veterans out there that have seen the provision of God. He always comes through. <laughs> he always comes through. If I see your face again, Moses, you're done. Moses wasn't afraid of him anymore. He wasn't afraid of the threats. His faith had become reflexive. He had endured the process and he had grown. Your faith and my faith is being developed. And we spend time experiencing the presence of God and communing with him and getting to know him better. That's what develops our faith, amen? You can't trust somebody you don't know. You're on a plane, you walked in, everybody said hello, you looked at the pilot, he looked normal. But you don't know him. Then the turbulence starts. And then the plane starts to shake a little bit. You, you drop a little bit, you know? And then you're like, oh, the pilot looked a little squirrely to me. <laughs> Did you smell alcohol on him? I thought I smelled, no, I, I smelled something. It's all quiet. You guys are way too serious. You spend time with God, you get to know him better, you're gonna trust him more easily, amen? 
eventually our faith should be reflexive like Moses was. He didn't start off perfect in it. He started off, you know, weak. He ran away, but eventually he came back and back and back to the point he wasn't afraid anymore. Hebrews 11:28 contains the fourth by faith. It says, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch them. That 10th plague there had this little event called the Passover, and hopefully most of you know what happened in just a minute. I'm going to let Kim read Exodus 12, 1 through 13, uh, and you're going to hear about that Passover. But the Passover was something that happened at the 10th plague, yet God told them they needed to uh, keep it as an ordinance forever. We're going to look at that. But Moses executed faith to do that. Could you, imagine, uh, could you imagine just all of these plagues and getting the people to trust him and asking them to do more and more you know, involved things, somewhat, somewhat outlandish things. This, this was the first time this had ever happened, and he's going to instruct them how to get an animal, how to sacrifice it, how to be dressed, how to be ready. I mean, there's a lot involved in the Passover here to the point where when God was probably in explaining it to him, some of us would have said, say what? You know, it takes faith to share things with people that God shares with you when you know that they're not going to get it right away. You know, it's not just Noah that looked crazy to his generation. A lot of us look crazy to our generation. This generation that has no rules, that submits to no authority, that is so selfish, so lazy, that demands everything be given to them, that's the world we live in right now. And in Christianity, we talk about submitting to one another and, and husbands having roles and wives having roles. You know, it, that's like crazy talk to this generation. They think it's archaic. <laughs> but yet God gives Moses this instruction about the Passover and that it should be something that the people do to get out of Egypt, but it's also something that they will have to do as a memorial to memorialize the miracle that God is about to do for them. Uh, there's a lot of firstborn of men and animals that are going to be struck down, but there's people who are going to be covered by the blood in this 10th plague. And there again, uh, you're going to see how this makes a Moses a type of Christ because the blood covered them and they were not destroyed by the death angel, the blood covers us and God passes over us because he sees Jesus' righteousness and not our own. So I'm going to have Kim come and read Exodus 12, 1 through 13. You have your Bible or did you mark it in here? Okay, good luck and Godspeed. Exodus 12, 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. 
Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it left over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here's Moses giving them all these instructions. Now realize something. If they just said, ah, not doing it, the firstborn in their house would die. Those Hebrews that said, ah, I'm not slaughtering a lamb. I'm not putting blood on my house. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not doing this. So he had to be faithful to communicate the instruction, and there was faith in that. It was detailed instruction, yet he, he communicates to them perfectly, and in the, in the process here, they're going to see exactly what he said worked exactly as he said it would. So there's credibility there in this situation that Moses is uh, creating for himself. So they had to do exactly what was said in this passage to survive and to get out of Egypt. But the Jewish people are also called to observe this Passover in a yearly feast of remembrance. In fact, Exodus 12, 23 through 27 gives them that ordinance. This is what it says. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the lentil of the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and strike you. And you shall keep this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? Then you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, because he passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt, and he struck the Egyptians, but spared our homes, and the people bowed low and worshiped. So there it is. It's, a, it's an everlasting ordinance there to keep it forever. So not only did Moses have to communicate it to them then to get them to get out alive, but he had to keep it going every year that they were out of Egypt. And he did that. And God counted it as great faith for him that he was faithful to do that. Now, the details of the Passover play into Moses being a type of Christ. You know, the fact that we celebrate communion to do this in remembrance of, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, amen? So as Christians, we come to the Lord's table in communion to, to remember what Jesus did for us. The Jews celebrate Passover to remember what God did for them, amen? Now, Tom, you have those handouts there. I want you guys to hand them out and give one to everybody. In fact, give one to me because I don't have one. Uh, 
And uh, we'll just go through that really briefly. Thank you. But when you get them in your shiny little hands, look up at me so I know. Moses as a type of Christ. Now, this is not a complete list. I can think of other instances, but it's a good start, and it shows you the pattern and what to look for. And I just thought we would just take a moment to go through it. Once everybody has it, I'll go through it quickly. But communion and the Passover are both done for us to remember. Uh, Just as Moses led the children of Israel out of sin, Jesus led us out of the bondage of sin. Amen. Jesus' blood is what allows us to have the consequences of sin pass over our lives. Amen. Are you thankful for the blood of Jesus? Amen. When God sees the blood on you, he passes over. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. Powerful. Everybody got one? I got one. Thanks, buddy. So let's go through this quick. You can spend time at home, maybe look up some of the scriptures just so you understand what typology is and how it's, you know, a a good thing to note. Both, uh, as I read through the middle column, both Moses and Christ, both were preserved from perils at infancy. Both were tempted but had mastery over evil. Both knew what it was to fast for 40 days. Both had the power to control the sea. Both fed a multitude. Both spoke of manna. Both had radiant faces. Both endured murmurings. Both were discredited at home. Both were mighty intercessors. Both spoke as the oracles of God. Both had 70 helpers. Both established memorials. Both reappeared after death. Both were, presented, were present at the transfiguration. Now there's more, but you get the idea, and there's some scriptures there. I gave even a couple more, how, you know, the fact that the blood covered the Israelites and the death angel Passover, the blood covers us in Christ. So be looking for these things. A typology is, is important because the Old Testament is all about types and shadows that become reality in the New Testament. So... Where does Moses' great faith come into play here with this Passover thing? Well, it was in his obedience. First, Moses is obedient to meticulously instruct the people about the initial Passover. The way he did that shows that Moses can follow God's orders to the letter. This is important. Anyone who wants to be a leader, anyone who wants to you know, be in ministry, anybody who wants to be prophetic and speak for God, you've you got to say what God says. And you got to do what God asks you to do, amen? Moses proved in this that he could take all these instructions, he could communicate it effectively, and he could get the people to be in compliance. This comes into play again in his life when he builds a tabernacle in the wilderness. If you look at the instruction details for the tabernacle, they are meticulous. The metals to be used, the woods to be used, the skins to be used, how things are to be stitched together, how they're to be put together, how they're to be taken down, every detail. How did God prove that Moses could follow those details? He gave him something detailed here, and he followed it to the T. You and I need to be able to hear and obey to serve God. Amen? So God counted that as great faith. He counted it as great faith that he could you know, hear the details and communicate them. Also, that he was able to instruct the people to keep the ordinance yearly. You know, it's hard to get people to, to do anything. Can we agree on that? Anybody have children? 
Anybody a boss? Anybody work with people? Amen? My best job was when I worked at a kennel because I worked with dogs. But people are difficult. And leaders are even more difficult. They say leaders are like trying to herd cats. If you can imagine that. Right? Independent, want to do their own thing. Everyone, the center. No, you know, but here Moses proves he can lead. He can get the people to comply. And God counts that as great faith for him. I'm going to close tonight with the fifth and final by faith. It says this, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as through dry land. What a miracle. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. You know, this was the last by faith year that God attributes to Moses as a reason why he's in the Hall of Fame of Faith. You might look at this one and you go, you know, where's the faith in here? I want, I want you to understand this. It took a lot of faith just for Moses to get the Israelites out of Egypt. He had to keep going back, keep going back, plague after plague. God, can't you just do one big plague? This guy's getting sick of me. You know, he's, he's more and more agitated. Pharaoh, you know, I, I already probably should be under a death sentence for what I initially did, and now I'm really pushing it. So, you know, it's going back, and, and, and his faith being established here. But Moses had to use a lot of faith just to get them out of Egypt. Now they're finally out, and they're at the Red Sea, and it's going to take a lot of faith to get them through the Red Sea. And if you don't think so, I want to take a little bit of time here to, you know, kind of deconstruct this and show you, you know, where, where the faith is here. Uh, I don't think we really understand what an intimidating situation it would be to have finally escaped this maniacal leader who had no regard for these people through a series of 10 plagues only to finally get away from him and get to a place where now we have his entire army bearing down on us and we're trapped. If you don't feel the stress of that, then, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we need to try and put ourselves in that situation. The whole Egyptian army, the most powerful army on the face of the earth, was bearing down on them and there's this impenetrable, you know, obstacle in front of them. They are trapped. And here's Moses, you know, he's got all these people and it's, it's people, they estimate it's about 2.4 million people. I don't even know how you move a group like that. You know, I mean, just the, the logistics of it all. 2.4 million people and they're all moving and they're, and they're finally, and he's moving them and then all of a sudden he looks up and there's dust. And what's that dust? It's chariots. And, and what's all that commotion? It's, it's troops. It's foot soldiers. It's an entire massive army. What are they doing? Are they on maneuvers? No, they're coming for us. The situation is as dire and as ugly as it could get. Now, from the Egyptian perspective, you, you got 2.4 million unarmed, you know, ragtag, old, young people. You got them corralled and trapped with an insurmountable terrain feature, this large body of water. They, it's literally like shooting fish in the barrel. The Egyptians got them. And there's many times in our walk, we're like, I've blown it, I'm uncovered, uh, everybody knows, you know, uh, the enemy has tripped me up, uh, I'm done. Anybody ever been there? And the enemy's bearing down on you, and, and you have to come to the place where you say, the only way I'm going to survive this is if God intervenes. And for Moses, 
in that situation, after he had done all of that, after he had went through all of the rigmarole with the, the plagues and dealing with Pharaoh and the, the death angel and the death of the firstborn and get the people and get, let's get out of here. Now he's trapped up against this situation and all he's got is a staff in his hand, a stick. No air support, no cavalry, no Delta Force, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, nothing. Jewish people who had been slaves for a long time, they weren't soldiers. It's as bad as it can get. Yet Moses had to have the faith to believe that God had not brought them this far to abandon them now. And that's what it's all about. As you sit there and look at me like statues, I'm coming down. You know, God does all these things for us. He gets us out of trouble. He gets us out of sin. He breaks chains of bondage. He delivers us. He, you know, he gets us past our bad mistakes. You know, he gets us out of financial crisis. And then all of a sudden, something else comes up. And, oh, this time he's going to abandon. Oh, this time I'm not going to make it. Right? How many of us are like that? After all he's done and something happens and our faith just melts like water. Moses didn't melt. You know, you say, well, what could he have done? He could have dropped his stick and ran. He could have tried to negotiate with Pharaoh. We'll come back, we'll come back, we'll come back. Could you imagine if that happened? After all that. But no, he didn't. He listened for God. He followed the instructions of God. He believed God for the miraculous. And, you know, three miracles come as a result of Moses' great faith here. Number one, the Red Sea was parted. That's a miracle, amen. I don't know about you. You know, I've been on the water a little bit. Uh, you know, you get a river that's running fast. You, you get a, a sea that's wide, a big expanse. You know, I watch these shows where people have to cross these, these ripping rivers in Alaska and horses and people and all kinds of, they die in these things. And they try and get across. I mean, you think about 2.4 million people to get across. God parts it so that they can all go through. Now, the second miracle is this. The seabed was dry. They crossed over on dry land. You say, well, what's the matter with a little mud? You're not getting people and carts and cattle and old folks through mud. If you, I mean, you part a sea, there was just water there. It's going to be muddy. But it says they, they crossed over on dry land. What spurred that miracle? Moses' faith to take his staff, to do what God told him. The sea is parted, the land is dry, and the third miracle is this. After everybody crossed over, how did that happen? We don't know. Scholars and Bible teachers think maybe that God posted angels or a cloud or something, you know, so use some of that cloud or whatever he did there. But somehow he kept the Egyptians at bay while 2.4 million people got across. Man, I've watched people get out of Yankee Stadium and it takes hours. Then you're sitting in the parking lot. 2.4 million people through a parted sea on dry land. And then the, 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 what's ever stopping the army there, the, the clouds moved and they come in. And what happens? The Egyptians try to cross and they're all drowned. I've heard some cynics say, well, the Red Sea was only, you know, a foot high when they crossed it. Well, praise God, he drowned all those Egyptians in a foot of water. Miracles take place when we release our faith. 
Miracles take place when we're obedient to God. Miracles take place when we believe our God's bigger than any circumstance we face. And that we don't just melt because it looks bad, amen? Moses had great faith. God celebrates him. Not a perfect man, and that should give us hope because none of us are perfect. But God looked at him and said, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, five times, this man showed great faith, and God honors him with being in the Hall of Fame of Faith for our benefit so we can see all of these principles and realize that, you know what, despite our shortcomings, despite our slow starts, despite our defects, you know, and our excuses, God can use us if we're willing and obedient. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for Hebrews 11. I thank you for this study. I thank you for this great man, Moses, that you used and who you chronicled his exploits in the word so that we can learn from the principles. Father, I thank you that he's a type of Christ showing uh, what Jesus would be like. And then as Jesus comes, he's so much more than Moses, but he does many of the same things. He's delivered us from the bondage of sin by his own blood. At the Passover, it was the blood of an animal. But for us in the New Testament, it's the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. Thank you that our righteousness doesn't come from our performance or our obedience or our, you know, us just getting it right the first time. It comes from the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise tonight.